G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann. And today I'm taking a deep dive into some of the questions getting asked by our members of the Perth Property Investment Facebook group. If you're not a member, jump on over to Facebook and search us out to join now. But I thought these questions and my answers could help others that are in a similar position with their buying and selling decisions. And of course, I'm just throwing my opinion in I don't know the full story. It's not specific advice, but it's some general pointers in the right direction to, I guess, give you some of the uh, factors to consider when um, going about making your overall decision. And you can get in touch with us if you do want specific uh, property advice, only too happy to help. So hopefully this helps a few more people. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So, thanks for joining us today. I'm going to whip through some of the questions, throw in my two cents, and hopefully it's going to give everyone uh, a bit of clarity. You might not be in this situation at the moment, but uh, you may find yourself in it in the future. And it can also help you think about some of the decisions you've made in the past and reflect on um, you know, whether you'd make the same decision again yourself or not. So, first question that someone's asked on the Perth Property Investment Group is they've got a principal place of residence. They're sitting on about 100K of equity buildup and they're considering selling at the moment, renting for a year, and then looking at purchasing again when the market corrects itself. So big assumptions there that they're assuming that the market is going to correct itself, which and they're considering sitting on the sideline basically and uh, hoping that they can pick up a better bargain in a year's time. So... Look, anyone that listens into my Perth property market updates would know that I'm extremely optimistic on where Perth is heading. All the foundations are very solid in term of, terms of low unemployment. We've got one of the most affordable property markets in Australia. And these two things combine, uh, along with very good rental yields, is seeing flurry and uh, an increase in migrants, as well as the investors rejoining joining the scene and you can see in uh, the monthly trends that Adelaide's leading the way in terms of overall popularity and price growth at the moment, but it's shifting to Perth and it has been to Brisbane and now Sydney and Melbourne are coming off. So it's a real gamble to sell, sit on the sideline. You're going to pay rent equivalent, which is wasted money completely. And you're probably going to have to pay a lot higher rent for the same sort of property at the moment. Even with interest rates having increased, rental yields are still higher for the most part. And you're uh, get taking a big gamble that you've predicted the wrong way and the market doesn't then price you out or cause you to have a much higher you know, cost to pay to get back in. So if I was in this situation, what I'd personally do is either look at selling now and buying in the same market because then you can control the prices that you're getting and not have that risk element of time or sell later and buy in the same market. So where you can actually look to make your gains 
is not from hoping and praying that the market's going to crash and that you can you know get back in. That's too big a gamble for me. I think your gain should come from selling your property, presenting it really well, choosing an agent that's going to get you the best price, really getting an emotional price from that market uh, when you're selling, and then trying to buy very well on the other side. And if you sell well and buy well and do that better than uh, most people, you're going to end up with a really good changeover, really good turnover in the middle. And, uh, you know, then you'll be in upgraded principal place of residence that you really want to be in. Whether that's now or later, I would do it at the same time. So hopefully that gives you some clarity and others some clarity if they're in that position. The next one we had was I've got a four by two in an outer north suburb that they bought in 2014 and live in as well. We put money into renovations and it's still not worth much more than we paid for it. They say here that should we sell or move and, and move to within 25 kilometers of the city when we can, or should we basically wait uh, for the price to increase further, um, allowing them some more money to make the changeover? And I actually chimed in on the Facebook group with my thoughts uh, on this one. And um, and so hopefully the person's been able to get on with making their plans uh, and pointed them in the right direction already. But I thought that this is a pretty common one that I see our clients go through. Do they wait for more equity buildup or do they make the move? And often uh, it really comes down to a number of things. So I'd be looking at what ages are your kids kids, when are they likely to going to need to start school? A lot of people make the move to be closer and uh, within this 25k radius of the city to be in the better public school zones. So you weigh up your costs as well. If you have to send your kids to private school versus moving into a better area that has a better public school, I've made the personal choice of moving into the better public school catchment, spending the extra on the house, not paying you know 50 to 100 grand in private school fees per year and instead uh, having a much better location to live in. So I would look at when you're able to make that move and you can do it to not delay. Yes, you can always save up you know have more equity gain on your current house, but it's also likely, that the property that you're going to want to move to, because it'll be at a higher price point, even if it's not getting a, as great a growth percentage, uh, which probably actually will have a higher growth percentage average annual growth rate over time, even if it's not growing as much at this stage of the cycle, you're still in dollar terms going to be better with an even lesser growth rate on the, the higher price property. And you're also um, going to be able to get into there and what you increase in in your current place, you're probably going to see outpaced on the new place. So my overall guidance to people in this situation is usually to try to make the move when you can afford to and you can make it happen and uh, definitely consider the school ages because it's good to try to get the kids into school and not have them move uh, partway through. At least that's an important consideration when I think about it. So hopefully that helps. Uh, get in touch if you want a specific property appraisal on your place and I can uh, fill you in and help you crunch some numbers and see if it's all going to work out and get input from a very good finance broker as well to 
see whether you can uh, make the finance stack up. Also, you know, stress test that as well to see whether with uh, interest rates increasing and, you know, factor in a, another potential worst case scenario of maybe another 2%, um, the bank's going to factor that in when they assess you anyway. So look at yourself, whether you can afford that and, uh, you know, if you're taking out a higher mortgage, you certainly don't want to go making your move and then, uh, you know, being in financial stress or struggle and uh, having to potentially sell later. That would be the worst case. So plan it all out when you can make the move, look to make it. And I'm sure you'll look back and be really thankful that you did. All right. Well, next question. I'm planning on selling my house in September and considering going the staging route as I will no longer be living in the property. Does anyone have any recommendations? So yes, I've always tell our clients um, when I'm selling their properties that staging is a great investment that will pay for itself at least two or three times over. And I tend to find that in the market at the moment for say a smaller three by two, you might be looking at three to three and a half thousand. For a larger four by two, you might be looking at four to four and a half thousand. Those prices are obviously going to vary. Depends how much of the house you actually get staged. But even recently, I've got a case where one of our clients did it on a very large four by two, but boy, it made such a difference. You just saw the emotion that buyers got uh, whipped up into. We ended up setting an absolute price record for the area, getting um, you know thirty or forty, no, forty thousand above what any of us even expected. And I believe that the staging had a huge part to do with it. Obviously, the presentation was the other part, making sure that the property, you know, they spent the time to repaint the property, to redo the landscaping, to put all all the finishing touches on things, made my job easier. And thankfully, then when you combine really great money marketing with really um, you know, creating a sense of competition around all the buyers as I did and uh, strongly negotiating, playing buyers off against each other as I love to do. That's how you can get an overall rate result by pulling each of those different levers and pushing our price up with each of them. So hopefully that answers the question for anyone thinking of staging and having a vacant property. The trouble with vacant property as well is that when there's no furniture there to emotionally latch onto, buyers will see everything and you'd better hope that your presentation and everything's really good. Otherwise, they'll see all the, the imperfections. They'll notice them all because the furniture's not there to take their eye away. And especially when you're dealing with smaller bedrooms and awkward shaped rooms, buyers can really struggle to visualize how their furniture is going to fit in there or how the rooms are going to be set up. The other thing we can use, which is a secondary um, and less ideal option, is that I do uh, use digital furnishing on um, vacant property photos. So if the owner can't afford uh, actual staging, I would get digital furnishing put on the photos where um, they get photoshopped furniture in so that when someone's looking online, they can actually see how rooms are laid out and how they can have some emotional pull to come along to the home open. Trouble is when they get the furniture isn't there and they have to uh, use that uh, imagination themselves, but at least it's helped get them there and given them an idea of how things could be laid out. So hopefully that answers that question for anyone else going through similar plans to sell and having a vacant property. Now, next one, 
Consciousness may be a very loaded question, says the person, but uh, your thoughts on leveraging a self-managed super fund to purchase an investment property. Now, this is really in the domain of needing to seek advice from a financial planner. As a real estate agent, I'm uh, certainly not able to give advice on using your self-managed super fund or, or setting any of that up. It's an area that I'd never go into. What I can speak about from the property side of things is just consider that when you have gains within your super, you aren't able to get them out to benefit the rest of your world, which is the point. Um, You're accruing those gains towards your overall retirement. So you need to think about like how that property purchase is going to fit within your overall plan. And that plan should involve a financial plan with a created by a financial advisor and encompass not just property because us property investors can be very one-dimensional when it comes to property. And I know that's our safe bricks and mortar and what we feel comfortable with, but we really need to look at our overall asset selection and how that comes together. That's the domain of financial advisors. You've got to find a good one. We've interviewed Stuart Wames from Pro Solutions in the past on the podcast. He's excellent, but um, he does deal and work with higher net worth individuals. I don't know too many that, that offer the advice towards the lower end. So if you're nearing retirement and you've got your assets and a bit of wealth behind you, then Stuart would be a good person to chat to. When it comes to that asset selection, you need to take into account your super, your different shares and index funds, et cetera, and then your property outside of super, and then look at how is this property inside a self-managed super fund environment going to fit within all of that. So definitely the domain of getting overall financial advice and to speak with a licensed professional on that. Next question, hoping, hoping someone can help or link me some information. I was told during my last property purchase by the agent that subject to building and termite inspection was now a standard condition and no longer needed to be written into the contract for sale. A friend of mine didn't add this in as an extra. And after the inspection, the property was found to have termite damage and water running in the bathroom. Are these not items that must be repaired? Well, When it comes to making offers in uh, WA, there's no like mandatory form that has to be used by everyone, every real estate agent. So you'll find that real estate agents have their own uh, customized forms and also use forms, some forms provided by the Real Estate Institute of Western Australia. Now, these forms by REWA are updated periodically. It's not a requirement to use the most updated form. And you definitely need as to read the detail as a buyer and see what things are included. It's certainly not a, a given subject to building and termite inspection clauses will be in there. And the clauses can be written very differently and cover different things. So very important to check. And I would be involving a settlement agent from the beginning. I know the value of a settlement agent, um, which is why I married one. <laughs> My wife is uh, works for Garnet Conveyancing. If you want to 
really good one on your side. Her name's Karina. So you can uh, contact Garnet Conveyancing. And, and I would be getting the settlement agent on board from the beginning to give you some input. And uh, if it goes beyond their scope, they could even potentially refer you to a solicitor if it's too complex. But I would be getting input before you go signing things, preferably. Um, if you know what you're doing and you've got your standard sort of clauses that you you know insert, then you don't need to get in, input every time. But especially if it's your first purchase and or if you're asking questions like this, you definitely want to be um, getting someone else's input when deciding what conditions to include. And there can be a whole raft of thing, other, other things that may be included or not included. As a general rule, in my sales contracts, I also give a warranty that all electrical, plumbing and gas items are in working order. And I like to check them through and verify them before taking the property to the market because I want buyers to know what they're getting and to be then comfortable to pay the most for the property. But many agents will do a sloppy job, not check these things out, just assume that uh, buyer beware and uh, not disclose uh, things that aren't working to you. And then there's actually no requirement for you to fix them, for them to fix them as part of the sale. And so you can end up being very disheartened when you find out that no, the toilet can be leaking, the lights can be faulty, the hot water system cannot be working and the conditions that you thought you had to cover structural soundness in your building or defects aren't in there and you're if you've got termites and and you're missing the clause and it's not or it's not adequately worded then you know it could be a very costly exercise and i know that it does happen quite often much more than you'd be believe so definitely uh look at engaging professionals such as your settlement agent and or solicitor when formulating your conditions and looking to put an offer in. And that way you'll get it right before it's too late to change. Next question. What would you guys do if in my scenario, I've got, this is someone that's got a rental property. It's got development potential. They purchased it with that intention to subdivide, but they no longer have the money or financial means to take it forward. So at least it's got a really good land component that's developable and less likely to be more of the building component. We know that land appreciates and buildings depreciate or go down in value over time. So sounds like a good little property. They're contemplating selling it because they don't want to live in it and they're currently renting. And the rent um, is actually more than the mortgage on it, which is great. And they were concerned about having to pay tax because it's positively geared. And they were worried about paying capital gains tax because they originally, um, their six-year rule uh finishes in January 2025. So they were concerned that they're having to pay a lot of taxes here. On the positive side, they've really got a really great tenant and things are ticking over and going smoothly. So just wanted to tackle this one because there was a number of sort of mindset things that I'd love to give you my take on. And I see a lot of other investors or uh, owners rather in a similar boat with how they're thinking about things. So I think uh, you never should be looking at your wealth through the eyes of taxes primarily. If you're paying tax and it's positively geared, that means it's actually contributing income to your situation. And that's that's a good thing. We should want all of our properties to be moving and progressing towards being positively geared. And if you have to pay some tax, that's a good thing. Um, and also when it comes to your capital gains tax, if 
you've got capital gains tax to pay. I'd rather have a huge capital gains tax to build to pay when it actually comes time for doing it. Uh, it means that I've made a gain again. And you can chat to your accountant about minimizing uh, these taxes, get their professional advice. My understanding is that it probably would be indexed from the time that that six-year period ends, but you may have to, you know, there's other rules that need to be considered and that's definitely an accountant's job to advise on that. But I certainly wouldn't be leading with the tax influencing whether I'm going to sell or not. I would be looking at, okay, so I'm renting at the moment. What's my overall plan? Do I want to get into a home? of my own and does selling this rental property, if that's what you're considering, does that enable you to buy that home and make that move? Because I certainly wouldn't be selling it and then just staying out of the market on the sideline. Because as I've mentioned to uh, one of the other questions of, that we covered earlier on in this episode, you know, I think there's a lot of risk at the moment staying on the sideline and having the market pass you by. So again, looping back to that previous question, you don't want to sell and then you know, find out that you can't afford to buy what you what you were thinking. And you don't want to then have the market pass you by. You want to keep the property so that you've got your potential upside ahead. And then when you're when you can make the financial move, buy and sell in the same market. And that advice might be a slightly different if the market was expected to tank or if we were expected to have a, a downward period over the next few years, but that's not my outlook. And uh, I've got a very optimistic view as to where we're headed. Also, um, great that uh, everything's going well with the tenancy. And yeah, I would review whether the rent's in line with market and try to increase it in line to maximize your rental income on there, have more tax to pay. Uh, that's my goal with properties anyway. So hopefully that helps others that are, might be in a similar position have ever tried to make decisions more revolving around tax or selling out of assets before they're ready to buy. Next question. I'm looking at building my first property and I'm looking at areas close to the beach. I've come up with two estates to my liking in Alcamos and Yanship. And I want to start now, but the land in Alcamos is slim pickings while Yanship have bigger blocks. It's just a bit further away. Questions of the group is, what do you guys think about these areas? I know Alcamos will title new land early next year and just wondering if it's worth waiting or should I get there now? Alcamos has got a lot going on at the moment, new commercial buildings and going up and close to the beach, Yanship 10 to 15 minutes further out. It's also developing and has a lot bigger blocks near water. So my thoughts, uh, I don't want to pour cold water on the flames of excitement. <laughs> But uh, having been in the position that we are here, we manage properties for a lot of clients that bought into Alcamos and Yanchip and Butler, northern uh, you know, coastal suburbs, on the back of all the hype of the infrastructure that uh, is planned for that area, the freeway extensions, train line extensions, and just like many other similar areas around Perth, whether that be uh, Byford, Beldivis, uh, other extremes, where there's you know land supply going on forever, I would always have to come back to the fundamentals of supply and demand and focus on buying in areas that have scarcity and unique factors about. And you know, I've just seen how many people got burnt in the down period. The only reason that all these blocks in Alcamos that were 
you know, vacant and struggled to sell for many years prior have all uh, started selling is because of those building grants that took up the supply. But I think there's a lot more supply going to keep coming on that's going to keep prices relatively suppressed. And although you haven't said whether you're doing it for your home or for an investment property, I like to think when you're making that first purchase, you need to wear both hats and really, really try to not shoot yourself in the foot on your first purchase because it's going to potentially set you back. You'll be treading water without the sort of upsides that you're going to get on in more established areas. And I get that building new can be very shiny, uh, but I'd also be very hesitant at the moment with the construction costs and time periods that on hand, you know, the builders have got cost blowouts all over the place. I'd be very hesitant about building anything new at the moment if it was me. So I hope that helps. And sorry if, if I did pour some cold water over that, but I'd rather you hear me talk about it before you buy, not after. (laughs) So next question, I've been looking at current market for a couple of months around different suburbs. Uh, This person actually bought one of our buyers packs and got our suburb recommendations. So they're a bit deflated because they've missed out on a number of properties. The markets are very tight in those suburbs. Things are pretty crazy, they're saying here. And they're asking, you know, do you think that they should either look at some other suburbs that are lower in price or what should they do? Uh, struggling to have patience and wait for something that's going to match the ideal criteria. So look, we are hearing this from a lot of buyers at the moment. Can be tough out there when, uh, especially when you're buying in these really solid suburbs that have a proven history of performance, look, they are going to be in demand now and um, they're going to be more likely to be in demand, you know, ongoingly, even in softer markets. So look, I wouldn't be discouraged. I'd be looking, checking out my episode of how to buy well in a hot market um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I would be potentially considering including one or two more suburbs in that list that are slightly lower in price. But what you don't want to compromise above all else is the location and desirability to a home buyer. And you really want tenants and buyers that have strong incomes to be strongly attracted to the property and have a you know ability to pay more ongoingly as a buyer and and, and as a tenant. And what that can mean as well is potentially if your budget is not getting you the quality of house and and or property that has the location and has that desire aspect to it, then you can always look at buying a villa that's still got a land component and your, your dollars might just go further to getting a really well-located, highly desirable villa that's likely going to do well in the second part of this cycle and ongoingly too. So I would consider potentially the next few suburbs down, potentially uh, villas that, and then you know really increase your criteria for, for location and amenities and desirability. And you want to be, if you are looking at villas, you want to make sure that they've got low strata fees, the common area is well-maintained. You want to get ideally a small group with four or less in the group and you know strongly appealing things like preferably a double garage, preferably two living 
living areas if you could find it. If it's only got one living area, you want it to be a decent one. You want the bedrooms, at least two of them to be good in size. A lot of these things can be said for houses as well if you're looking at the smaller ones. And uh, I would also say have patience because in 10, 20, 30 years, holding out six months for a better property that might perform, you know, on with an average annual growth rate, 2% or one and a half percent higher on 500 grand, uh, that's a million dollars plus over 30 years. So it is worth really taking your time on the asset selection and making sure it fully stacks up. And uh, thankfully, this person's also got our ideal criteria to overlay from our buyer's pack and uh, can take the emotion out of assessing things. But you also have to appreciate there will be compromises unless you've got unlimited budget. You've just got to work out what things are worth trading off what things are non-negotiable. And for me, it comes back to location and uh, being able to attract the, you know, the home buyer and, you know, tenant that's going to be able to afford pay the extra over time. And uh, that's a really great place to start and other things can be less important. So that's the last of the questions. Um, If you do have any other burning questions, property related, join um, our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search Perth Property Investment and you'll find us. Um, That one is run by me and uh, certainly got lots of other really uh, experienced investors, buyers, agents, other professionals, finance brokers, accountants that chime in and give their two cents opinions on things. Um, and can help you and would certainly love you to give input on other people's um, questions and stuff too. And if you on my property investor update, getting my emails, just feel free to reply to an email. Let me know any questions that you've got. You can also join um, that those email updates at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And if you prefer the old school chatting on the phone method, uh, you can find my number there at investorsedge.com.au. Give us a call and uh, only too happy to help, especially if it's property sales, property investment, or property management across the whole of Perth. We can definitely help you with your property plans. So thanks for joining us today. Look out for more questions in the group and look to bring you some of the ones that will help the wider audience that listens to the podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in today. And if you've enjoyed the podcast lately and you haven't given us a review, head on over to iTunes. Um, I think Spotify is also enabling reviews now. Really would help us get found by other investors. And um, and I love reading um, the reviews and how it's helping people. So catch you on the next one. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. Just a reminder that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature, as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. I'll see you in the group. 